Today is Tuesday, October 30th, 2018, and this week on Birdland BS, the Ravens start 4-4 four and four again, but it's Steelers week, the Terps do work versus Illinois, and the Sox are champs. Stay tuned. So let's take it to the Birdland. That Baltimore home flavor is coming firsthand. Fred Scott and Ryan, tell them the word, man. Mixing a little BS to make it work, man. Sports, they got it. When excitement, the topic. Make sure when they toss you the ball, you don't drop it. With all that swag, you're going to listen regardless. Here comes the pitch, so it's time to get it started. It's Birdland BS. What's up, BSers? What is up? Fred and Scott, Tuesday, October 30th. It's episode 69. <laughs> you said 69. I did. We're calling this one Ravens Get Clawed. Uh, appropriate as the Panthers <laughs> yeah. had their way with the Ravens this week. Before we get into that, though, this week's episode is brought to you by John Scheffenacher of Cummings & Co. Realtors. Are you looking to buy or sell your home? Do you want someone you could trust to go to bat for you? Go see our guy, John Scheffenacher, over at Cummings & Co. Realtors. John's been in the business for four years now and is dedicated to getting you the best deal possible. Always willing to take your call and be available for you anytime, day or night. For you Birdland fans out there, you may know him as the sunglass guy sitting behind the dugout at Camden Yards with the backwards hat, kind of like us. Yeah. So give John a call today at 443-604-6298. And yeah, Fred, my wife and I actually used John uh, when we bought our house three years ago. Always a great guy. He's always willing to take your call. We called the man. I've said it before. I'll say it again. We called him while he's on his vacation. It's the last thing I want to do is get a call for work while I'm on vacation. But you know what? He took the call. He got us into the house that we wanted to see. And he wound up, it wound up actually being the house that we purchased. Uh, Not only is he a strong negotiator, but he takes care of his clients after getting you the house that you need and you want. Um, and he continues to take care with this client events with Thanksgiving coming up here uh, next month. I'm going to get a hand delivered pecan pie and I can't wait. I'm jealous. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm jealous. Uh, and for me, the big thing is you can't hesitate to give John a call. You know, the longer the market sits, the, the more potential there is for you. Uh, so definitely reach out to John today, 443-604-6298, or you can email him at John Sheffa, that's J-O-N-S-C-H-E-F-F-A, at gmail.com. And don't forget to mention, Birdland BS was the one that sent you. That's right. Well, it's been a long week in Birdland. A uh, whole lot of news. We got a, a jam-packed episode here. We are not on a time constraint tonight. We're going to make sure that we get all of this in. This is a lot. This is a lot to cover. So as I said earlier, grab your popcorn, plug in your cell phone chargers. It's going to be a long one, folks. <laughs> Join us for the ride, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Uh, we've got a few people just to, to chime in. We know we know the people. We've got uh, Greg in the room, Joe, Joe Reinhardt, James, uh, always chiming in, Sherry chiming in. On Facebook, we got Hector. Uh, what's up, Hector? He's been he's on, been, follow, been following us now. Send uh, us a message, man. We still got that care package for you, brother. Yeah, and Sam also is what's uh, up, Sam? Us as regulars. For the show, all of our regulars are here so far. We appreciate it, guys. So we got a lot of things to cover, man. Again, the Ravens 
start off four and four, which is a uh, a familiar spot for the Ravens to be in uh, at eight weeks into the season. This is now year number three in a row that they've started off four and four now. Uh, so we got a lot to talk about there. Obviously, it's Steelers week, so there's a lot of hype. There's some excitement going around there. I mean, it's not quite what it would be after the loss that we had to the Panthers, but you got to put that in the back burner right now, and you just got to look forward. But we are going to dissect what happened against Carolina. Also, uh, some big news around the trade deadline in the NFL that involves the Ravens and many other teams. So we're going to go over uh, some of those things. The Terps had their press conference today uh, with the investigation and everything kind of coming to a conclusion. Uh, so we're going to dive into that and, and give you some of our opinions on that. And we're going to wrap up the uh, the MLB season as as the Red Sox are crowned World Series champions. And a familiar face. A familiar, a familiar face. Familiar face. Wins with the Orioles MVP fans. for the World Series. So we got a lot to cover. First and foremost, let's let's get into this the negative side of it. The the Ravens loss uh in Carolina. It was ugly. There wasn't anything pretty about this game. We talked kind of going into this game you know, we had to limit Cam with his feet. Uh, you know, that's that's always what you want to do with a mobile quarterback. We talk about it anytime we go up against a mobile quarterback, keeping him contained, having somebody spy on him. And he's not a guy that a lot of people can tackle solo, you know, especially yeah. the smaller corners and, you know, some of the smaller linebackers in the league. That's, that's somebody that, you know, counts for one or two people uh, to bring him down sometimes. So we talked about that, and, and, and he ran kind of freely on us. <laughs> Um, at will right we needed to we needed to see the 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 defense sustained for 60 minutes and that was the problem was that the offense couldn't control the time of possession in this game and the defense was out on the field far too often oh absolutely i mean they they were it was far too often some of it was in part the defense's own fault uh, for the time that they spent on the field uh and what they were giving up to cam in that offense uh but the Ravens offense wasn't helping things either, uh, not setting up in good positions. We're going to get into all that here in a second, but it just overall, it was a team loss. The they, team was out coached, yeah, out schemed in every possible way. This is another example of why I I think John Harbaugh is not the answer at head coach for this team and hasn't been. Really, he's on borrowed time in a lot of ways, in my opinion. Yeah, he uh, he had some comments today during the press conference. Uh, I just didn't like him. Yeah, and we talked to the team about all that. I mean, you know, we're four and four in a five hundred league. We're a game out of first place, and uh, we got our season in front of us. I mean, that's I'd, we'd all love to have a better record than we do right now. We probably should have a better record, but the record is what it is. So we that's where that's our starting point. That's what we fight from. Um, the bottom line is the process and where we're at and where we need to go as a football team. So you study the tape. There's lots of things to get better at, but it's not as bad as it felt, you know, after the game. So uh, you, you draw from that. The guys played super hard. They played very hard. Um, we just didn't play well all the time, and I think the Panthers made a lot of really good plays. I mean, there were some throws and some catches that were, that were just great plays in critical situations. There was a lot, a lot of things. I mean, you get a ball bounces up in the air, and it ends up being a touchdown instead of an interception. I mean, that's the type of stuff – that uh, that turns games, uh, but we made our share of mistakes. You know, you can't leave a guy unblocked and run run into the backfield uh, early in the game when you got when you have a chance for a good play, and those end up being uh, devastating plays. You know, so those are the mistakes that we've got to clean up. 
There's multiple statements there that piss yeah. me off. I'll let you take the runs with this because I've got a few things to say about this as well. For me, the the statement, it is what it is. I hate that statement. I've always hated that statement, no matter what it is. NFL, MLB, NBA, it is what it is, is never should never be an accepted statement from I a agree. head coach. Completely agree. On the other side of that that uh that interview, towards the end, you heard him make the statement that oh well we just you know they were really the the Panthers were not that good, John. You made mistakes, and you you when you first came out after the game, you said oh I put it all on me da da da. And I forget who it was. It was somebody on, on 105.7, I believe. They came out and they said, you know, if you listen to all of Harbaugh's speeches after major losses like that, they all sound the exact same. Oh, yeah. And I went back and I looked. They do. They he, all sound the he same. He makes that exact statement every single time. I put that on me. I da, da, da. Here's it, the thing. For him to say that it's not as bad as the loss felt, what the hell yeah. are you talking about? Your team is four and four. You are mediocre at best right now. Yeah, absolutely. You, somebody needs to light a fire under this guy's ass and have him pissed off. Have him angry. Like this whole, well, it's going to be okay. You know, you know, it's not as bad as it felt. And then, and then. Are you kidding me? Have you not looked at the schedule moving forward? I know you're only supposed to focus on week to week and take each game as it is. But if you look at the remaining portion of this schedule... This team will be lucky, and I mean lucky if they finish at nine and seven right now. Yeah, looking more like eight and eight's more of a reality. Absolutely. I mean, you, this is going to be the next two games. You have to win against Steelers, and you have to win against Cincy. Absolutely. But here's what there's my, no guarantees with that though. Yeah, no. Here's what my fear is: this defense has been the number number one defense in the league going into this game, and we've heard it. Everybody continues to say, "Oh, they're still you know they're still up there as a, as a top defense." But here's the, here's the problem. Cam Newton and the Panthers gave the rest of the league the playbook to beat the Ravens. And I'll tell you what it is. It's real easy. It's real simple on defense. On defense, you just have to get them on their heels and you throw the ball over the middle. C.J. Mosley can't cover anybody. C.J. Mosley has been doing horrible horrible in coverage over the past several weeks it's been pissing both of us off we both have talked about this on countless occasions and he got lit up he looked like he had no clue what play was being called on the defense what coverage he was supposed to be in he was just standing there he gets guys getting beat behind him he gets guys in front of him that he's getting beat on and then they're getting four and five and six yard gains after the catch yeah you can't have that out of your middle linebacker he needs to be able to do it you and i wanted to see kenny young step up in this game yeah but they didn't i felt like they didn't give him a chance with the play calls because they had him with his speed Doing a lot more of the rushing and and playing at the line and having there was uh, no adjustment uh, adjustments during this game not at, at all. all not at all not at all and and you know we talk about you you had just mentioned it about how this defense is ranked number one uh, in the league and they are like I mm-hmm. said I said to this before a couple weeks ago and I kind of preferenced it this way for a reason statistically they are number one but are they really the best defense in the NFL I don't think so and and our buddy uh, Logan Levy put out a good statistic and a good tweet the other day, and I thought it, it, it was really telling. Against the Ravens this year, Dalton, Breeze, Newton, and Roethlisberger, the four best quarterbacks we've gone against, they've had 970 yards, nine touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, and one interception. 
The rest, Mariota, Mayfield, Keenum, Allen, Peterman, that mix. Yeah. 749 yards, one touchdown, four interceptions. It's time to stop just blaming the offense. There is definitely some mediocrity going on on the defensive side of the football. Those are huge tipping tipping ends of the scale yeah. differences in those four games. When this team goes against any kind of legitimate quarterback, they can't stop them. No. They no, can't. They can't. And, and again, we, we, you talked about it. C.J. Mosley continues continues to get exposed in coverage. This is a guy who many out there are projecting to get top five linebacker money. As great as, as, as much as I love CJ Mosley and as good as he is against the run, you can't pay that. You can't mortgage the franchise and pay that kind of money. The Ravens are known and have historically overpaid for players. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, I, as much as I like CJ Mosley, I'm almost ready to cut bait with him, not as far as cutting him, but as far as considering whether we re-sign him or not. He would have to drop his salary requirements or the market would have to drop considerably for me to want to re-sign him. Yeah, no, at this point you can't you can't have that or here's here's what you, here's why I say it has to adjust is you have to make the adjustment on defense and he has to be playing the line, not Kenny Young. But there were a few plays where he was up on the line and he still wasn't able to get the guy coming out of the hole. Right. You know, so it it's it's been a consistent thing with CJ Mosley. We're seeing it get worse and worse and it's because you're giving them the the, the blueprint to how to beat CJ Mosley and right now the middle of the field is all everybody's going to do. I mean, Big Ben, what do you think he's going to do? Yeah. He's going to he's going to go up he's and torches. He tried to go out. He tried last time we played them. He tried to to stick more towards the sidelines most of the game. Right. But where did he have uh, his biggest success? Uh, I forget the tight end's Vance name. McDonald. 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 Yeah. He had his most success with McDonald across the middle against C.J. Mosley. Olsen lit up C.J. Mosley for the intermediate routes yeah. all game long. It was crazy ridiculous on how much it was there. And we, we weren't putting any pressure on Carolina either. Right. Between Mosley and, and Jefferson, both of those guys played awful in this game as far as coverage goes. But outside of that, Carolina's... Offensive line dominated our front seven. Yeah. We had no pass rush at all in this game. We came into this game leading the NFL in sacks. That all disappeared. That all went away. And I think the biggest thing with this defense that really a lot of people aren't talking about is the effect it's had losing Marlon Humphrey. Marlon Humphrey... Has he he I don't want to say he's a lockdown corner. I think that that phrase gets abused and gets overused. But the difference in the secondary since Humphrey has been out and Jimmy Smith has been back, I mean it's been alarming. Jimmy Smith is not the Jimmy Smith that we paid him to be. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And we, you know, for a couple weeks there, I kind of I, I kind of brushed it off as, you know, he's getting back into game shape and you know, there's you know, he's he, he'll get up to speed and he'll be all right. But this is just a continuing trend with him. Uh, Guys you know, getting couple, passed and getting burned. Yeah, he had a couple pass interference calls on him as well. Like, just not playing good football. This defense right now, I mean, unless they clean it up, they're in dire straits. Again, you've got a tough stretch of games here coming up against some top-tier quarterbacks that t- typically, historically, give this team problems. Yeah. 
and you're four and four. You got to win these games. Like you said earlier, you have to win this Steelers game. You, you have you, to win the Bengals. You game. don't have a choice. You have to go through. You've got to win these games. I mean, when you look at it, you've got the Steelers at home, the Bengals at home, and the Raiders at home. We all know it happens as much as we all think that the Raiders should be a lock game. We all know how the the Ravens have historically played against those teams right. and against those situations. So that's a little bit of a scary. Then you go to at Falcons, at Chiefs. You get the Bucks at home. The Chiefs are going to be a joke against us. Oh, yeah. They're they gonna, are going to torch us. They're going to pick us apart all day long. Yeah. Mahomes unless is, things change, unless something drastic changes, if things continue in the direction that they're in, <laughs> I, I do not see this team getting to the playoffs right now. No, it's no. Hard, because it's hard to wrap my mind around it. You also, you know, right before Christmas, you're getting the Chargers game, right. game in San Diego against Phillip Rivers, who has had some success against the Ravens in the past. Right. And is probably going to again if he is watching the blueprint from cam newton exactly cam cam had a got off on a few runs but there was still cam did a lot more passing than a lot of people expected in this game yeah and i will say i mean john was right the ball was kind of bouncing carolina's way a lot in this game but that happens man that you know you're either on the winning end of that or you're on the losing end of that and that's just a factor in 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 any kind of game things bounce you know the other team's way sometimes you got to be able to overcome that yeah and they couldn't you know this is this is the second year in a row where the Ravens have really laid an egg completely as a team. Last year, they had the, the, the debacle in London, which was awful against the Jaguars. And now this one. I, this score doesn't dictate how bad this game really was. Sam brings up a good point on YouTube. He says, where was Suggs? They held Suggs in check yeah. pretty well. You're, you're absolutely right, Sam. That's exactly what we were saying earlier. There was no pass rush at all. Suggs, Bowser, uh, Judon, you know, Smith, none of them. There was no pass rush. And for a team that leads the NFL in pass rush, you would have thought that that had been a strength of ours, but uh, it didn't show up. On the offensive side of the ball, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, like I, t- I t- said earlier, time of possession here was an issue. Other than the first drive of the game, you watch that first drive of the game and they marched downfield. They took up like, I want to say almost eight minutes and you're thinking, you're feeling good about yourself. You know, Alec Collins right. breaks off a run, gets a touchdown and you're feeling good. After that, I think they had nine minutes of possession in this, in the first house after that total. Yeah. No. Total. <laughs> It was ridiculous. It, it, it was rough, man, and that's that's huge. You you gotta you gotta keep when your defense is struggling like this and they're gassed like they are. You gotta keep the defense off the field as much as you possibly can. So you have to extend drives. Yeah, you gotta run time off the clock, and the offense just wasn't doing that. Yeah, no. Fla- Flacco. You know, look, there's there's a lot of people you know that are, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit. You know, a debate. Uh, there's a lot of people calling for Flacco's head. You know, and it's the same people that have been calling for Flacco's head since day one. He didn't play well in this game. He absolutely didn't. This is probably it was probably his worst game of the season. He's had some pretty bad ones. He had a, he had a bad one against the Browns. He had a bad one against the Bengals. And the Bengals really wasn't that bad for him. That was a bad team game. Uh, but if you look at the statistics, maybe you could say it was a bad game. Uh, and then he had this one. He had two interceptions. He was overthrowing on a lot of his deeper passes. And and the thing was, he was only attempting 5.1 yards per pass. Yeah. That's that's not winning football. No. You can't be at five yards per per pass attempt and expect to get first downs. 
and expect to extend drives. It's just, it doesn't work. And the interception that he threw going to the sideline. That was ridiculous. I mean, that's something a rookie does. Like he's in his 11th year. You throw that ball out of bounds. Right. Or just run it. Just- there, there's no, there was nobody, nobody he there. He could have actually gotten about two or three yards if he would have just run. He had a wide open field. Right. He could have ran, gotten three, at least three yards, but maybe even, even four. Like you said, even if he doesn't that, if he doesn't do that, just throw the damn ball out of bounds. There's yeah, no penalty for it. You're way outside of the box. Just throw it out of bounds. Why is that being thrown back into play? Where the only person in the neighborhood was a Carolina Panther. Yeah, no, I don't know. It did uh, make any maybe sense. Joe's maybe Joe's colorblind. I mean, it's quite possible. We don't know. Uh, I don't know, man. It really didn't make any sense to me. Um, and then, and then the other thing, the drops. This continues to be an issue for the Ravens year in and year out. And the past two games, it's kind of been some people that really have been surprising to me. You know, Willie Sneed, he was we were singing his praise really for the first six games of the season. This guy had been shorthanded and had been our go-to guy on third down, getting the tough yardage and that kind of thing. And now, you know, he's having some issues with some drop passes. He had the same issue last week. I thought maybe, maybe it's a pressure thing going against his old team. You know, right. he'll come back and bounce back here against the Panthers. But, you know, you had drops by Sneed. You had the drop by Hurst. Yeah, huge drop by Hurst, in my opinion. Yeah, Andrews even had a drop. I mean, he played a, a decent game, Andrews. I, I actually like what I've seen out of Andrews so far. But drops continue to be a problem. Yeah, no, it, it, it continues to be a problem. We thought it was just it was limited to Crabtree, but apparently he gave the heebie-jeebies to everybody else after he got <laughs> rid of it because he, he's been a little bit better and a little bit more consistent with his catches. But now you got Snead dropping the ball. Hurst has had the drop. You have, like you said, Andrews with the with the one drop. It's been kind of a nonstop issue on on this team of you know who's got the heebie-jeebies in the drops today. Yeah, you know, it, and it's unfortunately, like it is. It's spreads, ridiculous. Man. It's ridiculous on on what's going on. Um, but I think you're you're spot on with the fact that the drops played a big role. But the other thing that plays a big role is the fumble. Yeah, Alex Collins fumbles. Yet again. Yeah, and that's something that will get you in John Harbaugh's doghouse really quickly. Uh, I think the only saving grace for him right now is the fact that we just do not have anybody on the bench waiting. I mean, yeah, we have Gus Edwards, but he hasn't shown a whole lot yet. Uh, Buck Allen is not a back that can carry the load. I mean, he's a decent pass catching back and you know he's a good change of pace but that's as far as it goes he's not an every down back no so really the Alex Collins only saving grace is that there was a move made today to address the running back position and we're going to get into that a little bit later when we talk about the NFL trade deadline move so there are some things happening um but yeah he played well he did have a decent game but again you have your number one priority as running back is to hang on to the freaking football. Yeah, you have to hang on to the football. You don't have a damn choice. You you know, you were we were talking about it last night uh, in the Bills game for the Bills game against the Patriots. Some of these players coming out and just running like it's like a, they got a loaf of bread in their hands. Right. I mean, it's just all right. We'll just just carry it out wherever exactly. you know, one handed, and he he's. Kind of getting loose with the football. I don't know whether somebody needs to just tape it to his hands and you know go old school on him or right. what. But something's got to change with that because it continues to be a problem. Um, 
But another side to the running game is what we're seeing out of this O-line here. Yeah, The O-line continues to have problems and continues to not give the, the gaps that they should be giving, not give Flacco the time that they should be getting. Uh, you know, you had Stanley who gets injured in this game. Yeah, I think my heart skipped a beat when that happened. Both of us did. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I texted like five people and said, yep, that's it. That's a wrap on the season. Like, yeah. no doubt. If you lose Stanley, you lose your left tackle, done. I mean, they just don't have anybody that could come in and play. I mean, Illuminor in the, the, the series that he played, you know, didn't get beat too bad. So, I mean, yes, but he you can't rely on him every game. No. That's, that's not the answer there. But, yeah, in this game, I mean, it was the interior of the offensive line that struggled. Skura and Grasso both had trouble holding their blocks. Uh, Grasso made a few mental errors where he didn't pull when he was supposed to pull and, and just things that, you know, again, you, you kind of take for granted when you have a decent offensive line. That was the area that I wanted to see the Ravens addressed first and foremost through this trade trade deadline, and they didn't. Didn't do it at all. No. no. it's And it was – it's sad that they didn't, unfortunately, uh, but it continues to be it continues to be an, an issue that I don't think is going to get fixed this year at all. Uh, we continue to see limited use, in my opinion, of Zeus Jr. Yeah, you know, and that look at how well the guy played in preseason. I don't understand. I don't. I don't care. If he isn't getting the playbook, I really don't. He's he showed the ability to play football. Mm-hmm. If if what it takes is in the huddle, Joe says, "Hey, well, he he played a uh, you know the majority of the game, if not all the game, uh, against the Panthers. I mean, he did pretty good. Yeah, no, but what I'm saying is, is we're not seeing. Trying to put it, put it where where I I can kind of make it make sense to me in my eyes. He's still out of out of position. Okay. I think you've got to move him over to the other side. Over to left tackle? Yes. Was Stanley there? Stanley's our left tackle. I understand that. But what they talked about originally was originally having him play left tackle. No, nah, that was never the plan. He was Stanley is the left tackle on this team. There's no like getting around that. There's no debating that. What they were talking about doing was they were going to talk they were talking about when Hurst was healthy. Moving Hurst to left guard. That's what I'm thinking of. Then, and That's, then have having uh, okay. Ob, you know, uh, Orlando Brown play right tackle. Which so I misunderstood. I, still, I misquoted myself. My nah, you're there. good. That's uh, that's honestly when Hurst comes back and he's fully healthy. That is definitely our best offensive line, in my opinion. I even even if Alex Lewis is back and healthy, I think Hurst is a better left guard, left guard, right than. Alex Lewis is, and I think Alex Lewis should move to center. And I, because I, I do not like Skura. Skura yeah, no, I think both Skura, of us said that before. I, I think Skura is a good situational when he needs to come in and kind of sub for a guy because he is versatile. He can play the, and you know, he can play both guard positions and he can play the center position. So you do have some versatility with him, but he's not a starter by any means. So there's some things that need to happen there on the offensive line. And again, like I said, that's a position I would have liked to seen them make a, make a move here before the deadline, but they didn't. But anyway, then there's the one that everybody's going to start calling for real soon here. <laughs> yeah, it's already happening. Yeah. Lamar had a big, big 17-yard run. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in my opinion, I don't care what anybody says. I'm sorry, Sam. I know you're a big Lamar fan. 
stop it. Because the proof was in the pudding this week. Great. 17-yard run. Awesome. You miss a wide-open, eight-yard pass on the run, which you should be able to do of all quarterbacks. You miss Snead short. I'm going to... That's been... It's a valid argument, and it's a valid statement. And that's obviously been what the chatter's been, you know, kind of over Twitter and social networks is, is Lamar ready? How can he miss somebody so wide open? There's a lot of things that happen on that play. Mechanically, his feet weren't set. He threw that with all arm. That's a, that's a learning thing. That's, that's something that you throw him into the middle of a game. He hasn't really had a whole lot of reps and all of a sudden you expect to throw, you know, to have a, you know, have, have him throw a pass. He tried to throw that ball 20 yards downfield to a wide open receiver, probably got happy because he saw it. It could have been a big gain. Didn't set his feet and just tried to get it out there as fast as he could and, and just tried to throw it with all arm and couldn't get it there. That happens. That's a, that's a rookie mistake, not setting his feet. The big debate now going around is when is enough enough with Flacco and should we move to Lamar? Matter of fact, Sam, one of our followers on, on YouTube who we've talked about, uh, he wants to know, is it time for Lamar to start at quarterback? Do we go to RG3 or do we ride this out with Joe Flacco? I'll give you my take first and I want your opinion. I am not, I am not putting Lamar Jackson out in the fire yet. Nope. Win, lose, or draw. I am not putting him out in the fire quite yet. We're paying Flacco to be the starting quarterback of this team. Flacco gives this team the best chance to win right now. I'm not talking in the future. Flacco's time here in Baltimore is limited, whether that ends this year or whether that ends next year. But it is not time for Lamar yet. No. These next two games could very well dictate Lamar getting more playing time. I will say that. You've got two big games coming up against Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. If you lose both of those division games, yeah, maybe then you start working Lamar in more. Starter? I don't know. I'm not willing to say starter yet. Only because, again, I've said this a hundred times, you do not want to mortgage the future. If you're so fed up after two weeks and you lose to the Steelers and you lose to the to the Bengals that you want to make a change from Joe, I think to keep your future from being mortgaged, you go RG3. What we saw out of him in the preseason you're, you're only paying him a million dollars. He's on a one-year contract. He is supposed to be the stopgap between Flacco and Lamar. He's also supposed to be kind of the the internal mentor for Lamar because that's definitely not Joe. Right. Definitely no, not, not, not Joe. Um, pump the brakes. Please pump the brakes on Lamar for now. What's your take? I absolutely agree. Uh, I think Sam brings up a great point that you know, Lamar is still technically a college senior. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, on the same token, Lamar's prorated cap number is $1.7 million. He's being paid $1.7 million, and there's a guy on the bench that's being paid 
that could have made that throw oh, and yeah. changes the pace of the game. I mean, I, I, that's always a statement that's a broad statement. Yes, it, I'm, I'm making a broad statement. But at that point, that changes the pace of the game. For me, to have the thought even that you're going to start Lamar this year, no matter what happens, is ridiculous. Right. I agree. You want to get him out there, get RG3 out there, let him start the first half, see what happens, then let him, then let Lamar come in. Right. You get want to pull in wet. you want to pull in Lamar package while RG3's out there? Great, because you want to know why I like that move because RG3 out there, I don't have a post that's just standing there. Right. In Joe Flacco when Lamar's out there. If you look statistically, statistically quarterbacks that are just thrown into the deep end don't swim. You've got to put your swimmies on. You got to get your feet wet. You got to kind of learn how to swim before you go diving into the deep end. And I just do not want to see them do that with Lamar. I just, it's too risky of a proposition because there, again, I've talked about this in with related to other things in sports. The mental side of sports are huge. And this guy, this kid is a kid. He's still, just as as Sam said, he's basically a college senior. He's still young, maturity-wise, mentally. You get him in there, and he starts getting beat up or starts throwing interceptions, things that he's never done in his career. He's always been successful everywhere he's gone. He's been super successful in college. He obviously won the Heisman Trophy. He was super successful in high school. He's never really dealt with failure. And some guys flop big time when they hit failure. Exactly. You've got to be mentally strong to be able to deal with that. Now, I'm not trying to compare Lamar to Aaron Rodgers, but I honestly believe Aaron Rodgers is not the quarterback he is if he doesn't sit those few years behind Favre. Absolutely. If he comes in, Favre gets hurt, and they have to thrust Aaron Rodgers out there, he does not become the quarterback that he is right now. He learned from one of the best and he became more knowledgeable of the game and the the difference from high school and college to NFL. It's large. Yeah, it is. It's a totally different game. Yes, the rules are similar, but it's a different game going from college football to the NFL. And his prime example was the scores. Look at the scores. Exactly. In college football, scores always add up to 100 or more. Great. Almost always. Uh, you know, so it definitely plays a huge, a huge role. But back to kind of answer answer your question. For me, Lamar is not ready. He's he's got a lot of learning to do. I don't want to. Uh, at this point, I'm not going to say we're leveraging our future because I'm I'm still not sold. I originally was kind of like, okay, like okay, yeah, they're they're looking for the quarterback of the future. Okay, this guy's got a lot of a different style of play. We could see that. That's but now the way that they're using him and the the times that I've seen him actually play, I, I don't know that he's the quarterback of the future. I can't say that yet. I'm gonna need to see more of him, but I also don't want to see him out there when he can't make, in my opinion, simple throws in the NFL. Right. I understand he was on the move. I understand he wasn't didn't have his feet set. He didn't even think he sh- he was gonna throw that ball when he ran out. Right. That's why his feet weren't set. He wasn't thinking in his head. He didn't realize that he wasn't going to be able to get to the edge when he started running. Mm-hmm. He waited until he got and had three linebackers or two linebackers and a safety in front of him, and then he sees Snead open. 
eyes down the field all the time. You need to recognize that as a quarterback, whether you're in college or whether you're in the NFL. College quarterbacks, that's what they should always be taught. I know it's not always taught, but that's what they should be taught in that your eyes are always downfield, always looking for that target because you never know when it can happen. So he he clearly showed to me that the immaturity level he needs to sit behind somebody. And, you know, in my opinion, look, he's sitting behind Joe. But you know what I think needs to happen if Joe craps the bed the next two games. Fine. Don't bring Lamar out. RG3 starting. I agree. That's what I'm and saying. And RG3, let him sit behind RG3 and really for the rest of the season, study behind RG3. What, you know, what What am I, what can I do? How has RG3 changed his game? Yeah. That's what we talked about from the get-go. You never see shots of RG3 and Lamar, or you see them very rarely, of them sitting, standing together talking. Right. You know, on the sidelines, which I think is beyond my belief. If I'm the quarterback's coach, I'm telling RG3, get in his ear. Right. Get in his ear. Get into his mind. What was he thinking? What was he doing? You know, not in a attack type mode, but a, hey, I want to help you be knowledgeable. Hey, next time. Okay, that's what you were thinking. Remember, you've got to check. You got to keep your eye on that middle linebacker. If that middle linebacker moves too far over, you got to know I got to have a dump off if this happens. Right. You know, you've got to be able to look in that kind of stuff. And you're not seeing that. I don't know if that's part of the coaching staff. I don't know if the coaching staff is telling RG3 to back off. Well, speaking we'll speaking of coaching staff, this was the other side of Sam's question. Uh, and I've already kind of given you my opinion on it, so I'm just going to let you go with this one. What do we do with Harbaugh? If if they have – I'll say this. If they don't get, make it to the playoffs, Harbaugh's gone. Oh, that's without shadow of a doubt. Well, I, don't think, some, I think that's a Some given. people are saying if they, if they don't – if they have a losing season, Harbaugh's gone. But if they have a winning season, that Harbaugh will or Harbaugh will still be there, even if they don't make it to the playoffs. I think he has to prove himself after after last year, and the start of this year was looking good. Now we're kind of falling off here in the middle. We need to see what happens and how he recovers. But that's the only way, in my opinion, that he he sticks around with this well, team. Let, let me ask you a question then. Ravens lose the next two games. We're at four and six. Basically, the playoffs are over at that point. Unless you go on a run that you're not, you're not going to. You're go not going to do right. Do do the Ravens pull a Browns and fire Harbaugh midseason? What's your opinion? Who are you going to have replace him? Well, I mean, you're going to have Marty step up, who's been, a, who's been, you know, whose play calling has been questionable. It's not so much that. I mean, there's, there's, you could have Wink step up and be the the interim uh, head coach for now for the remaining. He needs of the to year. make sure that defense is online first. I get, I get that, <laughs> but here's the thing: at four and six, you're again, you're not fighting for each win after that. At that point, your season is basically a wrap. If you're the owner. There needs to be a culture change. There needs to be something drastic that happens with this team. Somebody needs to get in somebody's ass. Yeah. And if Harbaugh's not going to do it, and they lose these next two games, and we're sitting at four and six, Bashadi needs to come in and intervene. He needs to go to Ozzy and say, hey, this guy's got to go. Well, it's not Ozzy anymore. Well, uh, yeah, it is for the remaining portion of this year. Well, whoever, Ozzy, Eric, both of De- them, whatever. Dacosta's calling the shots. Whatever point, it may opinion. be, go to go to Dacosta. Whoever you need to, as the owner, say, "Hey, I've given this guy too much leash, 
and there needs to be something drastic that happens. I'm not saying that the Ravens are going to lose two more games, and I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here, and I'm not trying to be like depressing about this team, but really just be a realist. This team is not playing good football right now. Eric Weddle talks about, this ain't the same Ravens. This ain't the same Ravens. We're four and four. It's the same damn Ravens it's been for the past few years. Yeah. I mean, look, I can see, I can see it. I, I, I don't love it. I know that there's some people chiming in on Twitter uh, saying that, <laughs> saying that uh, you, that was an amateur question. I, I disagree with with who, the person that's saying that. Uh, the fact that it is it is a question. If they are six and four, this is now a losing season. It it was stated by Steve Bashotti that John Harbaugh is on basically on the hot seat this year. You know that was that was what was stated. So if you understand and know that what's going on with the Ravens, you would understand and know that that is a potential. That is that is a question. I do think it comes down to: Is it a winning season versus playoffs for the ultimate question? Do I think he should be fired midseason? Absolutely. Do I think the Ravens will do it? Not necessarily. Uh, and I think it, it'll come down to the loyalty of Bashadi. Uh, while he is a money man first, he's also very loyal to his guys. Always has been, always will be. And I think and- that's been a detriment to this team. I think that's why Harbaugh is still employed. It he won- hasn't made the playoffs in two years, three years. It won the man a Super Bowl ring. It that got was the man- six years ago. It also got the man several several games at home for playoffs. I hear, I you know, everybody wants to talk about the Super Bowl and all that stuff, and he brought us a Super that was six years ago. Six years in the NFL is a long time. That was six years ago. I'm just fed up with it at this point. Like I, I really am. I'm tired of all the the BS answers that he gives the media and all the just kind of brushing things off. As we played if, it. You heard it. Yeah, as if things aren't you know aren't going bad. You know that this is all a facade, and then you know we're going to be okay. And the divisions of five hundred or the leagues of five hundred league. This isn't a five hundred league. What the hell kind of statement is that? Yeah, like no. the, just. I'm fed up, and you know I've I've held it in for a while because I try not to be. I try to look at both sides of things with this, and I try to be as optimistic as I possibly can, but I'm also a realist, and I'm frustrated. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it, there, somebody chimed in and said, uh, DB says that there were four and two. We were four and two and tied for first, uh, and two losses later, we have to think about getting rid of the head coach. If you understand the way that the... the, the D-Bag, hang on a second. Two weeks ago, we were four and two. You're absolutely right. We're four and four now. We're four and four. And we're not playing good against any good football teams. Right. If you expect this team at four and four to make the playoffs when you can't beat good football teams, all you can do is beat up on bad football teams. You don't know football. And and what and what I what I got to earlier as well was you have to look at our schedule. We have the Steelers who played us. Who you know we played well against them, but we may they may have gotten the book on us. The Bengals who killed us in the in the uh, what the the. Second game of the season? Yeah, the second game of the season. Uh, then you have the Falcons, who have been doing okay. The Chiefs, who are going to run all over us all day long with Hunt, and then Patrick Mahomes is going to be throwing it all day. Right. The Buccaneers can be a questionable a questionable game. The Chargers can be a questionable game. And look what happened the last time we faced the Browns. Yeah, we're at home this time. I know that there's a fire sale on the Browns, but at the same time, you never know what's going to happen. This is... This is a 16-game season. This isn't a, an MLB 
two uh, game season. This isn't an NBA season. It isn't an NHL. You have sixteen games right. to make or break the playoffs. So yeah, four and four. I absolutely. I mean, I agree with you. At four look and at four, the schedule. You have to. You have to look at the schedule. The schedule tells you what may be coming, and it's it's a tough schedule. If you don't Very think the rest, tough. if you don't think the rest of the season is a tough schedule, I agree. It's somebody that doesn't know football. I don't like attacking our fans, but you have to understand and be real. We are realists in what's going on and what's happening. So if you aren't recognizing that you went from four and two with the best defense to last week, you're struggling. We're not saying Harbaugh needs to be fired today. I don't. Neither of us have made that statement. What we're saying is the next two games make or break this season. Right. If you do not win the next two games, yes, Harbaugh, there is there is a you lot of You need to heat have up. that conversation. Absolutely. You, if there's you're a, lot a GM of heat and your team is it's expected to make the playoffs and you're sitting at four and six and you can't beat the teams in your own damn division, somebody needs to be having a conversation with that guy. Absolutely, absolutely. You have to you have to do it. Everybody is everybody is is chiming in uh agreeing, you know, with with what you're saying. We have uh really one one or two people that that are uh really really kind of uh going off. Uh, I appreciate some of you guys that are that are chiming in on that. Um uh, but I absolutely agree. I agree with you. It's what we're talking about again is in 2 weeks if you are still if you are 6 and 4 that conversation needs to be had you have to prepare for that conversation now because the two teams you're going up against are the two teams that could make or break your even chances of getting into the playoffs because this is in our these are two division games these are two division games that are huge for us and if we don't win both of them you have to win both if you don't win both of them it look it is looking at best as a nine and seven season, and in the playoffs this year, nine and seven is not going to get you in. I'm sorry. If you think nine and seven is going to get you in in this season, and the way that some of these teams have been playing, I would I would go back and I would disagree. If you look right. at the tapes, go look at the tapes, go look at the way these teams are playing, and that's what's happening. So that's just my my thing is here. I I'm just trying to play both sides of the fence here. At four and four. You absolutely have to win these next two division games if you want a shot at the playoffs. You have to. Absolutely. Right? And if we do win those games, it's not, oh, you know, everything's great in in Ravenland and everything's good in Ravenland. You won the games that you had to win. But if you lose these two games and you've lost both games to the Bengals, you've lost your one game to the Browns, Yes, you beat the Steelers, but you're sitting at four and six on the year. You got to have that conversation. Yeah, you got, and look, you look I, at I, it. I'm not trying to be negative Nancy here. I, if you listen to the show, D-Bag, you are a D-Bag. You obviously don't listen to the show because if you listen to the show, you would know I'm not an overreactor. I'm fed up now. I'm right. fed up now. This was a frustrating loss. This was, again, a team that was outcoached, outschemed. They were not prepared. They didn't make the adjustments that they need to make. They should have won this. They could have won this football game, but they were outcoached. Yeah, absolutely. Plain and simple, they were outcoached. Yeah. So let's move on to the Steelers. Steelers <sighs> week. Good now God. that we got that one under our belt, Steelers week is here. Steaming. It is upon us. And the thing with with the Steelers is we've we've got three key, key three keys to this game. The big one is that we really need to ramp up the pressure on Big Ben. We can't have the limited pressure that we had on 
Cam in this situation because Big Ben is is Big Ben. You can never just like. Aaron Rodgers, just like Tom Brady, I'm not saying he's a, an Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, so don't get me wrong, don't mince up my words here. What I'm saying is, is that Big Ben can make plays when they're needed most. Yeah, I mean, this is a dynamic offense. Um, you know, James Conner came in as the replacement going into this year for Le'Veon Bell, just to kind of bide time to until Le'Veon Bell decided to show up to camp. But he's having a hell of a year. Statistically, he's one of the best. He's definitely top three running backs statistically in the NFL right now. You you add him to all the weapons that they have at wide receiver. Really, in my opinion, the Steelers have two number ones in Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah. They have two number ones. They've got a young guy, um, James Washington, who's a young and upcoming wide receiver, guy mm-hmm. that I was high on in the draft. I would have liked to have seen the Ravens going after him. Uh, they've got a good young tight end in Vance McDonald, who him and Roethlisberger here are starting to to get on the same page. Roethlisberger has been playing better as of late, and these games are always tight. These games are always tight. So this is definitely not a walk in the park by any means. No, but again, it's an absolute must win. And the other the other big thing here. We've got to save the defense. The, the yeah. offense has to stay on the field as long as possible. Extend these. You've got to increase your time of possession. Uh, you know, it, it's it's one of those things that if you can't get it done, you're going to get the defense tired. And when this defense gets on their heels, gets tired, it starts becoming a tough game. You know, right. we've seen that on on the regular uh, with with the Saints game. Again, with the Panthers, we saw it both times. When they are tired, when they're caught off guard, it hurts them, and it hurts them hard and fast. Absolutely. And that is the biggest thing that you have to do. Uh, you've got to make sure that, that that pressure is there. And offensively, as an offense, not only do you have to kind of extend drives, but you need to be attacking this defense more through the air. They are pretty solid against the run. Their secondary is suspect. Joe, yeah. you know, has got to work the middles, got to get his tight ends more involved in the game. Um, you know, obviously, they, you know, they, they, they do involve the, the running backs out of the passing attack. That, that's pretty good with Buck Allen. And now they've got a new weapon in Ty Montgomery coming. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, they've got to throw the ball in this game. This is one of those games where if Flacco's throwing 35 to 40 times, I'm okay with it because yeah. their secondary is suspect. That is where they've been torched all year defensively. Flacco tends to play better at home. Especially during during Steelers week. Right. And it's against the Steelers. Uh, so this, this is, again, this is a very big game. It's a game I'm nervous about, but a game that we absolutely must have. Absolutely. And somebody did chime in and ask, uh, where would 10... Honest question uh, from Papa Graham says, would 10 and 6 be enough for the playoffs? Oh, yeah. But 10 and 6, yes. 9 and 7, no. 10 and 6 will get you a wild card in this in this this year. Well, it could even get you the division right now with the way the division's kind of shaking out. 10 and 6 absolutely would get you in the playoffs. But when I look at the schedule... And you look at the remaining teams on the schedule. I know we've gone down this number of times already, but you got the Steelers, the Bengals, 
the Raiders, the Falcons, the Chiefs, the Buccaneers, the Chargers, and the Browns. There's a lot of teams in there. I just don't see them with four wins winning six more games out of those. Yeah, and Justin, I just can't. Justin actually brings up a good point on Facebook. He says with a four, we're four and six with a one and four divisional record. When you're not winning in your division, it's real hard to get in the playoffs. Period. Right. Real hard. So when everybody else is beating up on you and it comes down to a tie, which it quite potentially in this season could, we're gonna lose. Right. We have the worst record divisionally. Even even right now, the Browns are one up on us with the tie. Right. So and they beat us as well. Well, the Browns aren't up on us. I mean, they're they're up in the division, but they're not up. Uh, no, but I'm I'm record. saying if it came down to a tie, that's what right. I'm saying is that's where it would wind up being. Right. All right. Well, look. Let's move on. Let's get into some predictions here. Uh, last week wasn't the the greatest of weeks for me. I was coming into to last week at twenty and two with my predictions on the year. Uh, you know, all three of us had the Ravens winning last week. Uh, unfortunately, we all know how that ended. The Ravens did not win against the Panthers as they lost thirty six to twenty one. Um, all three of us were in on the Texans, so we all got that one on Thursday night. Texans. Um, Molly whopped the Dolphins. Uh, wasn't even close. Saints and Vikings. I expected this game to be pretty close. I gave the edge to the Vikings because they were at home. Uh, but Drew Brees proved to be Drew Brees and the Saints. Man, they uh, they win this game thirty to twenty on Sunday Night Football. Uh, you and Ryan had that right. I had the Vikings lo- or winning that one. Monday Night Football. This was a, a pretty much no brainer. We all went with the Patriots against the Bills. Uh, although we, we did the Monday night stream, uh, that was a close game up through about three and a half quarters yeah. uh, before the Patriots finally took over. There was a pick six in there and, uh, bills end up losing that game. 26 to six. It was a lot closer than we thought it was going to be. It was, tw- it was 12 to six for a while. There it was one possession game for a very long time. They held, they held the Patriots without a touchdown, uh, for quite a while. And that for Tom, for Tom Brady in that offense, it, it's a big thing. But I I do know that somebody had pointed out earlier uh, that we had when you watch the the tape of that game, you'll see that Tom Brady when the teams go in for the half, mm-hmm. Tom Brady was actually still sitting on the bench, looking, looking at the surface and yep. looking at that game footage. Yep, that's why Tom Brady is Tom Brady. Absolutely. That's, that's always why. that's always kind of been one of my knocks on Flacco is that you know he just he doesn't seem to get involved in that kind of stuff on the sidelines. Although lately he's been a little bit more involved with especially since they've they brought out these surface tablets and all that stuff that he seems to sit on the bench with those. Uh, but that was one of the, the knocks on him for many years. But let's get into this week's games. So we'll start with the Ravens game. Obviously again, Ravens at home taking on the Steelers. Ravens at four and four, Steelers at four, two and one, leading the AFC North right now. Scott, what do you see and how do you have this game going? For me, I've got the Ravens winning this. Okay. Uh 24 21. I think it's gonna be a three point game. I think it's gonna come down to what a big what did Big Ben and the offense for the Steelers learn from the Saints? What did they learn from the Panthers, and how did they apply it? Right. If they can take the things that they learned in both of those games and apply that, then that'll be the, that'll be the thing. Is you've got to you've got to then say, okay, if they apply it, this is going to be too tight of a game, too tight for for comfort. But if they don't apply it, they they're down. You know, as far as their running back game, you know, Connor's been doing an okay job. 
Um, started off real hot. It's kind of leveled out a little bit. Does Le'Veon Bell come back? I don't think so for this week. No, it's, it's not looking not. like it. No. Uh, but at the same time, it's something that I think Bell, with the trade deadline gone, he's either coming back this week or next week. Yeah, I it, it's You can't get traded now. Right. So at this point, you need to understand, you want to play football this year? You want to get paid? You got to deal with the Steelers. Gotta it's your choice. Up. You got to show up. You got to do it. Right. Uh, now, if what the Steelers do, if he comes on, I, how does he play? He's going to be playing for a contract next year. That's what he's going to be doing. Uh, so we'll have to really see ultimately what happens. But I do have this close game, twenty four twenty one. Ryan's got this with the Steelers winning twenty four to fourteen. Ryan doesn't see the uh, the Ravens playing very well, coming bouncing back from this loss to the Panthers at home. Uh, I, on the other hand, I am going with the Ravens on this, and I'm going with the Ravens because they have to win. And Joe Flacco does play his best football when the pressure is on, and the pressure is on. Steelers are coming coming to town, and this is a must-win. If must-wins are must-wins at, at week nine in the season, this is absolutely a must-win for the Ravens. I've got them winning 27-23. to 23. We'll see. You got it a one score game as well. One I mean, o'clock. One o'clock kickoff on Sunday. I can't wait to be there. Uh, I'll be screaming loud and proud. I'll be it. I'll be in Florida, <laughs> and my my father in law has already decided we are going to Buffalo Wild Wings right near where we're staying, and we're going to the game. We're watching the game there. Uh, so that's that's what's that's what's happening. So that's that's how we're we're going to see what what happens, what winds up playing a role. Uh, we're going to talk here in a second. Uh, somebody asked about Ty Montgomery and yeah. what he's going to say. We're going to talk about him in a second. How he think what role we think he's going to play on this team. Thursday night we got the Raiders at one and six going to San Fran to take on the Forty ers at one and seven. This game is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this is this is going to be the this is going to be the game of the year, guys. <laughs> game of the year. Ryan's got the Raiders winning this one, seventeen to fourteen. Uh, I'm taking the 49ers in this game, 23 to 20. Uh, this is a battle of two bad football teams. Uh, the 49ers without Garoppolo are, I mean, they're garbage to say, to put it mildly, they're a bad football team. Okay. Raiders, the wheels are falling off. John Gruden and co are just fire sailing anybody that they could possibly <laughs> get rid of. And they're getting rid of some of their key players and some of their best talent, and they're hoarding up draft picks. So um, I do like Derek Carr. I don't. I don't haven't given up on Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr can still be a good quarterback in this league, um, but he needs some help. He needs the right offense. He needs, he needs the right. Yeah, he needs the right weapons. Absolutely. What do you uh, got? I've got this game. 49ers 17 to 12. I you know, I was really honestly torn about this game because I was torn of whether this was going to be a really low scoring game where you see defense come in or whether you were going to see a really just high scoring game where the offenses were going to go to town on each other. Right. Uh it's it's still flipping the air. I've got a 17 12. Uh if I were to give you a backup score, I'm going to say like a backup score. I'll give you a backup that? score. <laughs> uh I'm going to say my backup score is uh 35 33. 49ers Lord. that'll be it's going to go one or two ways I mean that's I think we can see from our scores it's not going to be the highest scoring yeah. game uh, but I do sloppy think sloppy football it, game. it's going to be sloppy but it's going to be questionable whether it's going to be sloppy on defense or is it going to be sloppy on offense that's right. going to be the question how is it presented how does it go so we'll really have to see what happens there in the primetime game of the week Sunday night football this is probably the best matchup of the three primetime games you've got the Packers 
at 3-3-1 on the year, going into New England to take on the Patriots, coming off their win against Buffalo at 6-2 on the year. Ryan has the Packers winning this game 31-28 to in a close three-point game there. I also have it a three-point game, but I have this going to Tom Brady and the Patriots 30-27. to Tom Brady plays his best football when he's at home, uh, and I think that this will be a uh, a good game for Brady. Hopefully, well, no, hopefully for the Patriots <laughs> and hopefully for my fantasy football team. <laughs> they get Sony Michelle back because I think – they missed him desperately last night. They did. You saw that. We saw that all night. We said it, you know, during our live stream of the game, uh, and it definitely was was a big hurt for them and the Patriots. Right. Um, for me, I've got this coming down to a one score game, uh, but I've got the Packers winning on a last minute Aaron Rodgers drive. He wants it back after what happened this week. He wants that that win, and it's going to be a close game, but he's going to take it. In the last, I'll say in the last two minutes, he's going to take it downfield and win the game for for the uh, the Packers here. Score? With a score, 28-21. 28-21. All right. Monday Night Football, which for you guys out there that are on YouTube and haven't already watched, we've been doing for the last couple, th- three weeks or past two weeks uh, on Monday Night Football, we've been doing a live commentary stream of the Monday Night Football game. Scott's going to be in Florida next this coming Monday, but we're going to do it. Uh, we're gonna see if we can't figure out how to do it. Try to figure here. out a way through Skype and some other things to make that happen. So uh Monday night football. Titans at three and four go into Dallas to take on the Cowboys, also at three and four. We're all on the same page here, I think. I think we're all taking the Cowboys. Um I have this as a five point game. I've got the Cowboys winning twenty two to seventeen. It looks like we're all pretty much really close in our predictions on this game. I've got a twenty two seventeen. Ryan's got a 21-19. I got a 21-18. You've got a 21-18. That's crazy how that came out. But uh yeah, so there it is. That's our predictions for this night. But social media shout out time. Social media. On Facebook, Justin, we see you. James, we see you. Donnie, hey man, good to see you in the uh in the chat there. Nikki, we see you as always. Sarah, good to see you. Uh let's see who else do I have in here on Facebook. Uh Joe Carluzzo, good to see you as well. Heather haven't seen you in here before. Good to see you. Sherry, as always, hope things are going okay. Joe, good to see you. Carrie's watching as well. Greg, good to see you. Uh, and that's all I've got on Facebook. Uh, on Twitter, I know we had uh, Birdland Sports chime, chime in. Uh, Vito Spamoni, who is actually also Joe Carlozo. Uh, Engraven has chimed in. Uh, we've had quite a few people on uh, on Facebook, or I'm sorry, on YouTube, uh, chiming in. We've had our boy Sam. We've had Hector, who's been joining us. Uh, I know NFL Records uh, turned uh, turned turned in for a little bit. Uh, Papa Gramps, uh, DB, who is who is now uh, you know giving us some nice comments. We appreciate that. Uh, we appreciate the comments. If you guys disagree, just you know, we just ask that you guys. Hey man, this. I've got no problem. Just just an FYI, while we're in the middle of this shout, shout out, I, I have no problem. Not agreeing with something that you say. That's the whole point of this podcast is that this is just an opinion-based podcast. I have my opinion. Scott has his opinions. You all have your opinions. And we appreciate each and every one of you giving us your opinions. I'm not, I'm not here to call anyone out on anything. I'm not here for anyone to convince me some way other. I'm just giving you my insight and I'm giving my opinion. It's your choice whether you tune in to listen to us, D-Bag. 
Yeah, and and we we make sure that you know if you guys disagree, we we try and be respectful. You know about if we disagree with something you guys are saying. Fired uh, up, man! I'm fired we, up. We just asked the same of you guys. Tom Brady also joining joining us. Tate 07, uh, Danny. Uh, Hector, who we mentioned, Papa Gramps, I believe I mentioned also. Yeah, it looks like uh, looks like I kind of got everybody Engraven that was in there. Engraven's always. always in there, yeah. So we appreciate you guys tuning tuning in each week. Uh, and Sam chimes in. He says uh, he turned off his TV audio off to listen to us when we do those live streams. We appreciate that. We know we have people at work that was act- they were actually depending on us to uh, to give the play by play there. We have fun while we're doing. We had it too. over three thousand views. On our stream last night, that's incredible. We had over a thousand people that total watched uh, a good portion of it. At least I think uh, YouTube measures it in at least uh, five or ten minute increments when it's yeah. that long. So, Pretty incredible. Yeah. Before we transition to the Terps, because that's a whole other topic, and that's that's something that uh, we're going to want to talk about for a while. So. R- real quick, Mister Tim, uh, who who was what's going on, Tim? He Dong? was putting in some work last night. Yes, sir. Uh, with emailing people and and sharing it with everybody we appreciate that guys uh everything that you guys are doing out there um don't forget to to make sure that you check us out on our website www.burlandbs.com uh you can check out all of our all of our episodes there you can check out uh anything about each of us and then our gear page as well which i got james commented earlier i got my hat on right Uh, so all right well before again before we transition to college let's talk a little bit about some nfl trade deadline moves that were made today today was the the trade deadline uh at 4 p.m so there was a a fury of moves, uh, one of which that involved the Ravens. The Ravens ended up sending a 2020 seventh-round pick to the Packers for running back, wide receiver, hybrid, Ty Montgomery. Here's my instant reaction to that move. It gives us some versatility at running back. It gives us a running back that can pass block well, that has good hands, uh, you can even line him up in the slot. As I said, he's kind of a wide receiver, kind of hybrid type thing. There's a lot of things that you can do with him. Um, I think he will absolutely take Gus Edwards' spot on the roster. Gus Edwards will now go back to probably to the practice squad. Um, I think that he will fight for time with Buck Allen. Um, there will be. I think there should be a lot of look for a lot of the third down packages that you see with Lamar. Look for Lamar and Ty Montgomery both on the field at the same time because that's going to give Lamar another weapon to use. Uh, you know, gives Marty some more deception and and another guy that somebody has to account for uh, versus just honing in on Lamar. And to only give up a seventh round pick for this, I mean, how many seventh round picks? We talked about this before. How many seventh round picks really pan out to be anything in the NFL? Yeah, no, not very many out there. Very, very few and far in between. And yes, I know some of you are going to probably chime in and give us some names that have worked out. Yes, there are. But it's very, very few and far in between. So for a seventh round pick, you basically give up nothing and you get a pretty decent running back in Ty Montgomery. Is he going to be... A night and day difference for this offense that's to be determined. I don't think he's he's not definitely not a number one style type of running back, but no. I think he's a good change of pace to complement Alex Collins in the offense. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at his numbers uh, for this year, they're not you know he's not letting anything up. He's got four yards per attempt on average, uh, and he's he's averaging about fifteen yards a game. But that's because they don't they're not having the necessary use for him. Uh, as far as overall, his TDs. 
he's only ever scored in his career seven rushing TDs, uh, but he also has three receiving TDs to go down with that. So he can kind of get out there. He can make some catches every once in a while. He usually has more uh, receptions per season than he does actual carries. Uh, the only uh, hiccup to that was 2016 uh, when he actually outrushed with 77 rushes versus uh, 56 targets and 44 receptions. And James brings up a good point. Another thing I forgot to mention is Ty Montgomery has been on special teams. He has played well for the Packers in the past. Now, the big part of the reason that the Packers were looking to trade him was because Ty Montgomery lost that game against the Rams for the Packers. Apparently, from reports that have kind of come out, the Packers asked Ty Montgomery if the ball is kicked into the end zone to kneel it and take the ball at the 25. Ty Montgomery, the ball was kicked basically to the edge of the goal line, a little bit deeper than the goal line itself. And Montgomery was coming forward to catch the ball and decided to take off with it. And when he took off, he ended up fumbling the ball, and that was a wrap. Rams just sat on the ball, ran the clock out, game over, Rams win. Which Rams fans were yelling at Gurley for not taking that in the end zone. It's exactly what you do. You finish it out so you can just yeah. kneel the ball and not no take the risk. Rub- rubbing it in or anything. Screw the whole point spread and all that stuff and the Vegas stuff, whatever. And not, none of that means anything. They got to win. Uh, but so that, that he kind of fell out of favor there in Green Bay. So maybe a fresh start here in Baltimore will serve him well. We'll see. We'll see how he fits into the offense, but I'm not going to get super excited about it, but I do think that he can add something to this team for sure. Yeah, no, as far I mean, I don't think he gets a ton. Like you said, I don't think he gets a ton of carries, uh, but I do think he, you know, he can, he's a good guy that you, you can get out over the flat. He's going to wind up catching more balls in the flat uh, than you would be throwing to Collins. So be on the lookout that if he's in the game, he's probably, they're probably looking to maybe get him the ball out in the flat uh, to be able to get a few yards and maybe even get, fight for that first down. Uh, the other, another big one uh, that we saw today, we both were surprised on this. Demarius Thomas to the Texans for a fourth rounder. I, I was only surprised with this because before the Will Fuller injury, I had kind of, you know, the Patriots were talking about picking up another wide receiver, even on top of Josh Gordon, and they were willing to give up draft picks. And I thought that Demarius Thomas to New England might be a good fit there. But then as soon as Will Fuller goes down in Houston, they have a huge need there at the number two, and he can kind of come in and compliment uh, um, Hopkins well yeah. at the number two because they can't focus just on Demarius. They're obviously – And you can't focus just on Hopkins. Hopkins <laughs> is one of the best wide receivers, if not the best wide receiver in the NFL. He's got the best hands I've ever seen. Um, so he compliments him well. That and, catch that was called back, by the way. Oh, my God. One of the best catches I've ever seen. Unreal. Um, but, you know – Houston's finally starting to get their stride. I had picked them earlier on in the year to win that division or be right there with the Jaguars at the end. Jaguars have been very disappointing as a team, but Houston finally starting to hit their stride, finally starting to play well. We're starting to see Watson kind of get back to way, the way he was playing last year before his injury. Uh, adding to Marius Thomas is a huge gain for them. The Rams, <laughs> Rams continue to get rich on the defensive side of the football as they trade a third-round pick for the Jags pass rusher Dante Fowler, former first-round pick. They've got a serious pass rush on that team. 
They've also got a serious amount of personalities on that team. We talked about this prior to the year starting. You got Sue, you've got Peters, you know, you've got Talib, and now you add a guy like Fowler. All very big personalities. So far, McVay's done a good job of keeping that together and keeping that under wraps, and everybody's playing for the team. So if he can continue to do that with Fowler, man, they just continue to get nasty on the defensive side. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, they, they've been putting it together and putting it together quick and well. Uh, so, I mean, it's going to be tough to see what they wind up doing. Um, <laughs> they're just so stacked. Yeah. I mean, they, again, they are the best all-around football team in the NFL. They are the most, They are the best all around, defensively, offensively, special team. They're the best coach team. They are definitely the best team in the NFL, and their record speaks for it. It ain't no. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it, they could go sixteen and zero. Yeah, they really could. Golden Tate, he jumps ship out in Detroit. He heads to the Eagles for a third round pick. Eagles kind of surprised me here. I didn't think they'd be in the market for a wide receiver. I thought more so that they'd be in the market for a running, running back. back. Yep. I thought that you might see. A LaShawn McCoy, or you might see a trade for Le'Veon Bell. Um, but Eagles add another wide receiver and a very good wide receiver. You throw him out there with Aguilar. You throw him out there with, um, oh, man, what's his name? Guy came from the Bears. Can't think of his name. Uh, Jeffries. Jeffries. Yeah. You throw them out, there, and he throw, works into the slot. He's a, a, a good wide receiver at 30 years old, still a very productive receiver. Uh, so a good move for the Eagles. The Packers send yet another player. This one was like I think the biggest head scratcher for me. Ha ha Clinton Dix. If you look at Pro Football Focus's stats, he's one of the top three safeties statistically this year in the NFL. Right. And you trade him to the Redskins for a fourth round pick. This has locker room or some kind of issue going on behind the scenes issue written all over it. You don't trade a player of his caliber caliber for a fourth round pick when you're still in the hunt for the playoffs yourself. I just this one didn't make a whole lot of sense. But, you know, for the Redskins, you pair you pair him with um, Merriweather out there and they've got two formidable, really good safeties. Uh, help solidify their defense. Yeah, they're going to be solidified up. It's it's going to be quite interesting to see what winds up happening uh, with the skins moving on through the rest of the season. Uh, another one that we didn't didn't mention it wasn't necessarily a trade, uh, but interesting note: Terrell Pryor, released by the Jets uh, on October twentieth, is apparently on his way to Buffalo. Who cares? With intentions to sign. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? At that point, I think he's just going there for a paycheck. Who goes to Buffalo? Who wants to go to Buffalo? Christ, how many people have left Buffalo after signing deals there and been like, ugh, yeah. my God, I'm out of that place. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, now that's just that's a payday for prior because he really doesn't have any op- options elsewhere. No, he doesn't. All right, man, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's uh, let's talk Terps football. Um, obviously today they had their big press conference, which we're going to get into that. But before we get into that, let's talk about the team. Let's talk about their huge win this past week versus Illinois. This was, uh, again, we talked about a must win for them to be bowl eligible. This is the Terps doing what they needed to do to stay on the path of getting to be bowl eligible. Um, 
they were favored by 17 in this game. They end up winning 63-33, to and honestly, Illinois scored a few extra points later. This was even more of a blowout than that, yeah. really. Um, for me, going into this game, I figured it would be the battle of the, uh, of the running attack, and I thought, you know, Reggie Corbin of Illinois, he, he's their top runner there in, in, uh, in Illinois, and I thought we'd see a lot of Ty Johnson and Anthony McFarland, but it wasn't that at all. Man, it was leak. Javon Leak, he found the leak in, the in Illinois D. Yeah, he, did. <laughs> he 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 exploited that thing and let it flood. Five carries for 140 yards and three touchdowns. He had 274 all-purpose yards. The first player in Big Ten history to be named offensive and special teams player of the week to win both awards in one week. First and, time it's ever yeah. happened in Big Ten history. That's pretty impressive. This guy had a big day. Actually, not only that, but he also he also countered that with a 97-yard kick return TD. That's the all-purpose. Uh, right. That's what I'm saying. But there's a, t- there's a yeah. TD involved in yeah. that is what I'm saying. Absolutely. So it's not just all the all the running game. He he was really playing an all-around you know, big game, and he really said that he tips his cap to the O-line here. Yeah, with all of his carries, he said that they really they paved the way. They kept Illinois defenders and they kept the Illinois line uh, in check for him to find those holes. Right. So you know, huge credit to him on that. And that, o- good. No, overall, it was a team win. Absolutely, this was a big win. It's a big team win. And one of the things that we've been crucial on, and one of the things we've been kind of hard on, is Kasim Hill hasn't really shown the progression now in year two. Obviously, his first year was cut short with an injury uh, early on in the year. I had higher expectations for Hill in the offense. He finally got it going against Illinois. He went 11-19 for 265 yards and had three touchdown passes. Uh, So a big game there. But as we mentioned, a team win. Not just leak. It wasn't just no. leak about the, uh, the rushing attack. They had 48 carries for 431 yards and five touchdowns spread out amongst 10 players. Yeah, That's what I mean. This team is absolutely stacked, stacked at the running back position. They, ha- they are rich at running back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so if they can get any formidable passing game going like they did in this game, I mean, you see, putting up 63 points, like the sky is the limit for this offense if they can get the offensive passing game going. Somebody goes down, it's next three men up. That's Absolutely. what it is at this point. Uh, you know, you also have not only the on, the on the running game, but in receptions, you had seven different players for 13 receptions, 281 yards, three TDs. Yeah. So there's there's your receiving core stepping right. up. So you have your rushing stepping up, your or your uh, your running backs stepping up for the rushing yards. You have your receiver stepping up. You have Kasim Hill stepping up. Uh, defense was maybe the only lackluster, but they gave up. They had one interception. They had zero sacks. Um, and the the kind of note here that is going to going to go really unnoticed in my opinion that really puts it on the defense. Yeah. The special teams only had to worry about three punts and nine extra points. Yeah, from Illinois. Yep. So while that's a tip of the cap to you know special teams for being able to you know for getting out there, that's more of a tip of, tip of the cap to the defense. While they didn't have any sacks, they didn't have any big 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 plays, so to speak. They had big stops. Yeah. And in the in the NCAA in football, it is an offensive game. 
Absolutely. So when you can stop a team and your defense can stop them the way that the Terps stopped Illinois, it just shows that this this team overall is doing very well under Matt Canada's power for now. Yeah. So this week, Terps at five and three take on five and three Michigan State twelve o'clock game Saturday on ESPN two. Maryland comes into this as the underdog. They have about a 62% chance of losing this game if you're a stats kind of guy. But if you are a stats kind of guy and you really look at the numbers in this game, if you're just looking and comparing it numbers, this is one of those games where the Ravens or Ravens, where the Terps may be able to sneak a win. Obviously, they still have the game against Indiana. That could possibly be their sixth win and get them bowl eligibility. But if you want to possibly put seven on the board, you're not going to do it against Ohio State. You're not going to do it against uh, Penn State. Look, any team can beat any other team on any field on any day. Not but let's be real. Yeah. Let's be real. This is Ohio State and the way they've been playing. Uh, it, it's just not. It's not going to happen. Um, you know, I think you mentioned that they're, they're the underdogs here. To me, these stats really say differently. When you look at the stat line for mm-hmm. these two teams, uh, yards allowed. Spartans are letting up 353 yards a game. Mm-hmm. Maryland, 337. Uh, passing yards, Kasim Hill hopefully can run over all these guys all day long because they're giving up 275 yards to Maryland's 186 when it comes to passing. Now, where it hurts is they're rushing. They're rushing game. They're stopping the rushing game really well, which is what we're excelling at. We have a lot of guys in Maryland that are exceeding at this. This is what we and saw this week. That's the problem there is that Maryland has struggled against the defenses that are good against the run. And again, we talk about how one dimensional this offense can be. We need to see Kasim Hill have the same kind of game that he had against Illinois. If not better, if not, better. if not better. Absolutely. So we'll see. I mean, again, predictions are that Michigan state wins this game. Statistics show Michigan State should win this game. But if the if the Terps have a shot at winning one of the remaining games outside of Indiana, this is their opportunity to win. Absolutely, it is. 100%. It is their, it is their biggest chance to win and get, get that eligibility. One guy that's going to be on the sidelines this week with the Terps, um, and we're going to talk about this a little bit, DJ Durkin. University of Maryland Board of Regents held a press conference today to discuss their ruling in the toxic culture and the death of Jordan McNair investigation at the University of Maryland football program. School president Wallace Lowe announced that head football coach DJ Durkin will be and has been reinstated, along with athletic director Damon Evans, who Dr. Lowe said has been working with him through this entire process, gave a lot of praise to Damon and back DJ Durkin. He did, uh, but there's a hidden piece here because after this, Lowe then announced his intended retirement at the end of this year. June 2019, he plans to retire. He's going to see it out, but to me, something is not... Something doesn't smell right here. Uh, Whether Lowe was pushed out or... He's making a call because he doesn't like this move. Uh, I want to go with the latter part from everything I've understood, everything I've read about Dr. Lowe. He has been a strong proponent of 
he's going to, you know, back the investigation. Right. But he didn't, it didn't seem as though he never commented, but it didn't seem as though he ever thought DJ should come back. For those out there that really don't know a whole lot about the situation and what was going on outside of the death of, of Jordan McNair, there were two separate investigations into the football program. They had five meetings and calls between the 17 member board of regents to investigate again the culture of the football program who had a part in the entire you know process and handling of McNair and and what had gone on and some of the statements that have been made uh, by former players and former and and parents of players about the atmosphere in in the locker room uh, and through practices so they went through this investigation Board Chair James T. Brady spoke on his findings and their findings and beliefs into Durkin's involvement today. The Board of Regents also met with Coach Durkin. We believe Mr. Durkin failed to adequately supervise strength and conditioning coach Rick Court, but that this failure is shared by the university's athletic department. We also acknowledge the many individuals who spoke with the Independent Commission about Coach Durkin and his leadership style. Those comments, as detailed by the commission, were at times very critical of Coach Durkin and his lack of oversight of Mr. Court. But many others, players and families in particular, spoke very positively and with great affection about Coach Durkin and his deep commitment to the football program and his players and their families. We believe that Coach Durkin has been unfairly blamed for the dysfunction in the athletic department. And while he shares some responsibility, it is not fair to place all of it at his feet. Coach Durkin was incredibly forthright with the Board of Regents during our meeting. He also participated in more than 10 hours of interviews with the Independent Commission. He has acknowledged his role in the athletics, in the athletics department's shortcomings while he served as head coach, and he has committed to ensuring the proper reforms, working with the independent monitor to see that they are implemented. For these reasons, the Board of Regents recommends to the university leadership that Coach Durkin remain head coach of the University of Maryland College Park football team. We believe that he is a good man and a good coach who is devoted to the well-being of the student-athletes under his charge. He is also at the beginning of his coaching career with a great deal of promise and much still to learn. We, be, we believe he deserves that opportunity. So in that statement, obviously they are putting blame on Durkin, but they're passing the buck around to multiple people, and, it's, and what he's saying is that it's not fair to put all of the blame on Durkin. And I, th- I think that's a fair evaluation to not put all of the blame on him. Obviously, other people had a, uh, had a role in this. But here's the thing. Coach Durkin and head athletic director uh, Damon Edwins sat with the team and addressed the team after this press conference. A good portion of the veterans and the seniors on this team walked out of that meeting. There's a problem internally between coach and players with how this process was handled. Forget what the board is saying. 
from a university standpoint, from a bigger picture standpoint moving forward, looking at years to come for, for this program. One of the big things about Dirk and one of the positive things about Dirk and has been his abilities as a recruiter. If you think that that is going to be the way it was, that he's going to be able to go into a parent's house and sit down with a kid's mom and dad and say, hey, I've got your kid's best interest at hand and your kid is safe with me. And you think that that's going to have any kind of solidity to it? You're sadly mistaken. This this move by the regents, board of regents is absolutely ridiculous. And I predicted it to my boss. My boss actually went to University of Maryland. Uh, his boss went to the University of Maryland. And we have two people in our department that went to the University of Maryland. Mm-hmm. All of them agree. They don't, they're not in favor of the move. They don't like it. And they were surprised that I actually, who, who did not go to University of Maryland, that I brought up the point, University of Maryland, the student body, is going to have a field day starting tonight or tomorrow. Because they are going to call for everybody's head on that Board of Regents. You openly made the statement that there is blame to be put specifically in Jordan McNair's death on DJ Durkin. That's called accomplice. If you are putting blame on somebody, you are saying they are accomplice to the circumstance. Therefore, why is the man still working? There's one answer. And you kind of touched on it. They're thinking money. Oh, yeah. It's, it's all about the money. If there's anything that any college football fan out there knows or should know or should know, the NCAA is about their money. Money, power, respect. And in my opinion, they lose my respect in many ways for this decision. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. I mean, you, we just heard it. They openly said there were players that were saying that it was an issue. There were players and families that were critical. While, okay, great, there are many that are saying, you know, that, okay, he's a great, you know, he's a great guy, he's a great coach, da 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 Who are those kids? Right. Are those the kids that Durkin looks at him and says, you know, and I'm not, I'm just using a name for an example. Is it a Kasim Hill where he's gone? You got a bright future, kid. I'm, I'm not going to have to worry about you. I won't put too much pressure on you. You're okay. You're going to make us some money. Or is it the guys that are in the trenches? Right. Because I'll tell you what, I bet you every single one of those O-linemen walked out of that meeting. Oh, yeah. Look, for you, for you out there that have played football and for you out there that have never played football, football is a brotherhood. The, the locker room, your teammates, it's it's a brotherhood. It's it's I played a lot of sports growing up. I played baseball, I played basketball, I played football, I played a lot of sports growing up. And I loved all my different all the different sports and I loved all my teammates and everything I played with. But 
the, there was nothing like a football locker room no. and the cuz you you there's no it's the ultimate team sport what you do affects the guy next to you and what that guy does affects the guy next to him you play together as one and i can guarantee you i don't know personally but i can guarantee you jordan mcnair had a lot of friends like you said on that offensive line and in that locker room and now you're bringing back the coach that ultimately had the final say and oversees everything on that football field i don't care if there's a head head trainer and all that stuff he's there the head football coach oversees all of that and you're bringing him back into that locker room and he's supposed to get those players to play for him and get their you know get their respect back that's unrealistic and it's unbelievable in my opinion that we're here let me put it this way for comparison for those of you that you know that may not have the understanding or may not know you know fully what's going on if you think about what happens with uh, a company like Enron back right. in the day uh, you know where they went down there was a lot of shady stuff going on things weren't being handled properly the higher you got the more pressure was put on you and the more you were responsible so while court does have a great deal of responsibility he is a direct responsible for what happened and if you debate that go read into the situation cuz you're, oh yeah you're, you're he, mistaken. absolutely that was his assignment that was his job right but guess what? DJ Durkin oversees him. Exactly. And so therefore, DJ Durkin, by, I don't want to say by rule, but basically by rule, he is at fault as well. Yeah. He is, a, is just as much culpable to this situation. And that's why in that situation like Enron, it was the top brass people that were let go first or that were, that were gone after first and were, were penalized first. Why isn't that happening here? Because the NCAA is a powerhouse. Right. The law isn't involved in this as much as I believe they actually should be. Right. But the problem is they weren't. NCAA is law. Yeah, pretty much. But all right, man. Let's let's move on. It's been a long one, man. Uh, let's get into some fantasy football talk uh, in the Birdland BS League. I went up against Troy uh, and was what was projected to be a pretty close game, uh, and it was. I lost ninety nine to one hundred three. I am now three and five on the year. I can not write the ship in this league. Started out three and zero, and I've lost five in a row. Awful. I go up against Joe Carluzzo, who's also three and five this week. So we'll see how that shakes out. Scott, you came in at two and five. Who'd you take on this week? I took on Christy this week, uh, who has been the top points getter in the league uh, thus far. Uh, the projection was was for her to win by about twenty points, and uh, that she pretty much did one thirty one to one twelve. I fall to two and six. I take on Jean, who's been on a roll here in five and three, uh, but I fall into the likes of the man who beat Ryan. Ryan lost this week. It was projected him him to win by about ten points. He wound up losing by almost twenty. To James, who we all gave a bunch of stuff to yeah. about two weeks ago. Now James on a roll two weeks in a row. He's, He's got, got two, two wins. wins, man. 
I'm in the I'm in the trenches with James now. I'm two and six with him. <laughs> I'm not far behind you guys, but he's got a tough matchup in PJ Ryan. Ryan does. Ryan yeah. has a tough matchup with PJ this week at five and three. Uh, big shout out to Brian this week who had 174, just over 174 points in the league this week. Uh, first time that he was Man, highest scoring team. He had some guys go off. Cam yeah. Newton with 29, Sammy Watkins with 28, Todd Gurley with 31, Drake with 22, and his Washington defense, which you don't normally see defense get over like 10, 11, 12 points, 15. Yeah. So great deal of his points right there. How about our Baltimore League? How do we do in that one? You've yeah, so our, our Baltimore League, the record doesn't speak with how good we are in this league. We are by far the by far the leading scoring team in this league. We came in at four and three. We went against Logan Levy, uh, which you can follow him on Twitter at Real Logan Levy. Uh, he's an editor for Be More Beatdown and host of the Take It to the Bank podcast. Also does some producing on 1057 The Fan. Um, we took him on this week. Uh, and we mollywopped him, one forty-one to ninety-nine, puts us at five and three, which is third place in the league. My thing with this is we've got a solid team, top to bottom. All we got to do is continue to be on the pace that we're on, get in the playoffs, and we'll handle our business. We got this. This weekend we go, or this week we go up against Brandon Portney. Brandon Portney is uh, outstanding. Brandon on Twitter, uh, he's a beat writer for Russell Street Report Projection Show. We're gonna. Whoop him, 132 to 77. I don't think he's got all his players in. I think he still has to make some substitutions. But predictions show 132 to 77 there. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be quite interesting to see what happens. Uh, all right. This is a long show, Fred. We yeah. still got a little bit left here to go. But we got to touch on MLB news. Uh, it's a so wrap. It's a wrap in the MLB. Uh, through Game 5, Boston wins Game 5, takes the World Series, wins the championship. Uh, to get there... Game three here set an MLB record seven hours and 20 minutes long. Fell asleep during this one. I couldn't stay awake. Yeah. 18 full innings, 561 pitches, 18 pitchers used, 34 Ks, 118 at-bats, and 46 players used. Every single one of those stats that I just read is a set record for MLB history in a World Series. Yeah. Period. Unreal. Crazy game there. Yeah. Ends on a walk-off by Muncie. Uh, I think the, the turning point in this well, – not really turning point, but like one of the things that really didn't make sense to me, some of Dave Roberts' decisions that he made, specifically pulling Rich Hill in the game after he had pitched – Seven strong innings. Strong innings, man. Strong. And, and, I mean, even... he, he had the game in hand. Didn't show any signs of fatigue. You're in the World Series. You know, and, and your bullpen had struggled as of recently. I didn't understand pulling him at all. Uh, that would have been a big, big change of events if they could have pulled that win off there. Uh, but no, unfortunately, he made some some questionable decisions, to say the least. And he got booed in, in, in L.A., yeah. He gets booed before game five because of that. And they showed a shot. There's a picture of it out there where the fans start booing him. And he's just like looking at the fans like, really? Yeah. Like, but it was bad. The other thing that he struggled with, he continued to put Kenley Jansen in. Who That's what I mean. Struggled, struggled and faltered. It was, it was just ridiculous. And he's being put in in the eighth inning. This was what we saw with Zach Britton a few years back. Right. Where you're putting your closer in an inning early. It's a completely different mentality when you got to go out and you got to pitch another inning. Absolutely, you know you you're going to approach it a little bit differently. Uh, but for for Boston, 
hats off to them. Yeah. Boston being Boston. Let's just put it at that. David Price in game five, seven strong. That's a guy that's gotten a lot of crap in Boston with the amount of money that he's being paid and the contract that he signed. And in Boston, there's the whole like racial issues and some comments that have been made. And he has, he hasn't really felt comfortable being in Boston. He earned his money this year. Yeah, he did. He earned every penny of his money and he really earned it here in the postseason. Uh, you know, another guy that earned his money, Mookie Betts, but, he went hitless in the LA portion of the series until game five when he hit a home run. Uh, so that pulled it, you know, pulled him into the lead. And then we have a name that Baltimore fans well know all too well. I call him my nickname for him is the ultimate I like our guys. Yeah, Mr. Professional Hitter himself. Steve Pierce, man. Yeah. Two home runs in game five and wins the World Series MVP. He also hit Another home run in game three, I, w- I believe. It was game two or game three. Hits a home run in that game as well, playing a big factor. Four of his last seven years, he's been on a playoff team. He's He is the ultimate journeyman. Uh, we talked about this last night on our Monday Night Football feed a little bit when people were asking us some questions. If there's anybody that fits the definition of journeyman, it's Steve Pierce. He's played on every team in the AL East, and he is just... He's clutch, man. He's he is the ultimate. You know, they always say that you know he he's dominant against left-handed pitchers, but not so great against right-handed pitchers. He had no problems from either side. No, in this series, no, he did he did well, and he deserved the MVP there. You know, winning basically winning that game for them, stepping up. He won. He basically single-handedly wins two games in my. Well, I shouldn't say single-handedly. Pitching played a, a big role in it, but he puts up the numbers and puts up the offense for them. He he killed it with RBIs too. This this was just an all-around solid, very solid team from top to bottom. Pitching staff, defensively, hitting-wise. I mean, they just they hit strong all series. The starting pitching, I mean, with, with Sale and Price and, and – um, oh, God, what's the other Evaldi. Guy? Porcello and Evaldi. Yeah, I mean, they just they, – they didn't falter at all. The bullpen held strong when they came in. Again, it's just ultimately the best team won this year. Hate the Red Sox. Journeyman for the bullpen. Hate the Red Sox. Journeyman for the bullpen for them. I hate him. Boston fans, I know, love him. Hector has been chiming in. He's he's a huge, uh, yeah. huge New England Sorry. fan. Sorry, Hector. I am not a Red Sox fan. I'm from Baltimore, so I can't be. But <laughs> but yeah, no respect. Joe Kelly. Yeah, big big and huge role in that series in not letting. The get them too deep into the bull, letting LA get too deep into into Boston's bullpen and and being the stronghold there for them when he needed to be. James said, "I think one of the best teams ever to win a World Series," and I agree with you, man. I'm right there with you. I, like I said, I they played small ball, they played the deep ball, everything. Yep. I will tell you, I'm as real as real can be. I will tell you when a team is good, and I will tell you when a team is bad. I can't stand the Red Sox, but they were a damn good team. Yeah, absolutely, I, and they're going to be good for a while. Well, speaking of bad. uh <laughs> So the Orioles faltered on the signings of three major players in the the international market. We signed Machado, though. Yeah, I know. And he's a shortstop. He's playing shortstop. We signed Machado. But it's Gilbert. Uh, And he's from Venezuela. Completely different Machado. Um, So, yeah, we signed four international signings. uh, Shortstop Gilbert Machado from Venezuela. 
also from Venezuela, outfielder Angel Gomez. Uh, not sure I like the movie, outfielder. Right. Did you see who else they got? Uh, I know they got uh, Kevin Infante from Cuba. Another outfielder. Another outfielder. And they also got right-handed pitcher Kelvin LaRoche from the Dominican. Look, these guys are all teenagers. They're all young. They're, it's going to be years before we see these guys. Um, this was kind of a dumpster dive of international prospects. They, I think they only spent a total of like $150,000 of all their money, uh, international money. So I don't know what they're doing with that. I know they have sent Stockstyle uh, Stock or whatever his name is, the, the scout, the head yeah. scout. I know they sent him out recently to Korea to scout out there. So maybe there's some guys over in Korea that they have their eyes on. It's not going to be the Victor Victor Maces of the world and the Gastons yeah. of the world and that kind of thing. Um, but look, this is money that it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why are you hoarding this? Why are you not spending this money? You lose it. It it was reported. It was reported that they undercut. We said it last week. They undercut right. both guys on the deals, uh, and that it was ridiculous. Now you bring in these guys. You go out and you grab two more outfielders who where we're overstocked right. in the farm system with outfielders. Absolutely. We have more outfielders than we know what to do with. Uh, and more, I'll say decent outfielders than we know what to do with. Right. Uh, so a lot of these guys are are going to take some time, but do they become pawn chips? Do the guys that you already have become pawn chips? It's tough to say. We don't know. I just hope they don't try and turn around and turn any of these outfielders into first basemen like they've done with everybody else or the right. other way around turning first baseman into outfielders. Uh, so it just, it just continues to be a problem all around for this team. Brian Graham was apparently the one leading these signings. Yeah. Not a smart move. Uh, you should have gotten somebody in here. I said it before I said they weren't going to make a move on GM until after November 1st. It, we got two days. Right. Uh, and I think it's going to happen. I think you'll see something next week. I think it'll, they'll come out with it next week and that'll be what it is, but it's too little too late. And next week, we're going to spend some time kind of diving into some of the candidates' names that are out there in Birdland. Um, that's the next big move and next big chip to fall. We'll see what happens. But look, like I said, as far as the international money goes, last thing I'll say, they got a ton of money. And they lose it if they don't spend it. Spend it. Get some damn prospects in here. Here's, here's what I'm going to say. If you can get a big-name prospect, great. But go get a bunch of other guys. Preferably not outfielders. Go get a bunch of young pitchers. Right. That's what this farm system has always struggled with is pitching. So A, you need to do an overhaul of the farm system on pitching. But B, go out and get a bunch of these young pitchers in the international market, sign the international money. Look, if you sign, if you take all that money and you dumped it all into pitchers, let's say you got, I'll, I'll just throw a number out. Let's say you got 20 guys. Right. Right. And three or four of them work out. Exactly. That's a win. If two of them work out, right, you're you're fine. You're sitting, absolutely you're sitting at at ten percent at that point. James got a good point there. It's it's a waste of the international money. Basically, gave Gosman to the Braves for nothing because that was a big portion of what came back in in the Gosman deal was the international signing money that you thought, okay, well, you know what? If that money ends up going to good use and we get a Victor Victor Mesa and his brother, then that's a good deal. But you don't get any of the three top prospects that you were looking at, and we're all crying here in Birdland. Yeah. We need to see some changes. I just I'm done. <laughs> it's 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 rough at this point, but next week we'll kind of get into a little bit about again the the names that are out there uh, and we'll see what happens. All right, Fred. Episode 69. 
That's right. Giggity. <laughs> I said 69. It's in the books. The Ravens did get clawed yeah. by the Panthers. Uh, great show. We want to remind everybody to check us out on our website, www.birdlandbs.com. From there, you can check out all of our episodes, learn about Fred, learn about myself, learn about Ryan. Uh, you can contact us. Check out our gear page. There's a ton of new gear there. Uh, everything from mugs to uh, stuff for your dog to phone cases. Everything is there. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> so you can find us all on there. You can also check us out. Birdlandsports.com has our podcast streaming there as well. Uh, it's us and some other podcasters and writers. There's enough content to cover every day of the week. It's for fans, by fans. Uh, you can follow us on all of our social media accounts. On Twitter, it's at BirdlandBS, at FredBLBS, at ScottBLBS. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, any one of those. Uh, just search Birdland BS, you'll be able to find us. Make sure while you're there, you like, follow, subscribe, share to be a part of the Birdland BS Nation. Uh, on Twitter, uh, also on Facebook, if you want to hear us talk about something, use the hashtag BLBS Nation, and your opinion may come up on the show. As always, be sure to check out the audio podcast on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, or whatever app you choose to listen to your podcasts on. Uh, thanks again, everybody. Great show. Thanks. Huge shout out for all the listeners getting us to over 1,700 views on Facebook last week. Huge. Huge. Huge, huge guys. We appreciate it. Uh, as always, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next Tuesday night, 845. I'll be reporting from Florida. <laughs> Fred will be here in studio. For Berlin BS, I'm Scott. I'm Fred. See you guys. See you.